This podcast is sponsored by Wakunaga of America, makers of Kyolic Age Garlic Extract, Kyodophilus Probiotics, and Kyo Green Powdered Green Drain Mix, all natural, healthy solutions to support your whole body well-being. Wakunaga is celebrating their 50th anniversary this year. Wow, 50 years providing quality supplements backed by science. You can enter to win a year supply of your favorite Wakunaga brand by heading over to their website, wakunaga.com, and enter the 50th anniversary celebration sweepstakes. That's W-A-K-U-N-A-G-A.com. Good luck. Hi, I'm Lisa Davis, and over the years, I've got to interview some fantastic people, and one of them is back. It's been way too long. I'm sure you've all heard of her. Her name is Ellie Krieger, and she is incredible. Host and executive producer of the cooking series, Ellie's Real Good Food on public television and well-known from her hit Food Network show, Healthy Appetite, Ellie Krieger is a leading go-to nutritionist in the media today, helping people find the sweet spot where delicious and healthy meet. Her success can be attributed to her accessible way of offering tools for nurturing a richly satisfying, sumptuous lifestyle while cutting through the gimmicks, hype, and extreme eating that permeate our world. Ellie is a New York Times bestselling IACP and two-time James Beard Foundation award-winning author of seven cookbooks. She is also a weekly columnist for the Washington Post and has been a columnist for Fine Cooking, Food Network Magazine, and USA Today. Today, we're going to be talking about seasonal foods. The seasons are changing, which I'm sad about. I would love another few months of summer, but we are moving into fall and we're going to talk all about the incredible recipes and delicious things that we can make. Hi, Ellie. So excited to have you back. Lisa, it's so good to be here. It's been a long time, but really long time. But it feels like hardly any time has passed. So there you go. <laughs> and you look like no time has passed. And it, as a fact, did you like, do you have like a magic potion? I'm oh guessing you all the healthy, healthy eating and delicious cooking and all the great stuff. I would love to start with what got you interested in cooking recipe development and all that good stuff in the first place. Oh, wow. You know, I feel like I was born to it in a way. My mother says that me becoming a nutritionist is like a pyromaniac becoming a firefighter. So that is one of the things I often quote her on that because it really like if you want to know about me, then you just need to know that I have loved food for as long as my mother can remember. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, I just always loved food, always loved being in the kitchen and cooking. And actually, my mom worked full time and went to school at night. So my sister and I, more often, you know, more often than maybe other typical grade school kids were sort of making meals for ourselves because we both loved food. Um, And so, yeah, I was cooking for as long as I can remember. I started studying nutrition as pre-med in college, but I majored in nutrition because I loved food and it covered all those requirements. All the while cooking, all the while going to farm, being that geeky college kid who would like go to a farmer's market on Saturday and buy all the overripe tomatoes and make a sauce when I got home. So that is what I did for fun, (laughs) even back then. Um, But then, you know, went on to study nutrition and realized as I was studying it that it was really what I wanted to do, that it wasn't medicine, but that nutrition was such an incredibly diverse field with such depth and breadth. And then So I went, majored in clinical nutrition, went on for my master's in nutrition education, and then did a lot of continuing education in cooking, you know, 
skills at the Culinary Institute of America and so on, but really always loved cooking. Oh, that is so cool. What have you seen over the years in terms of different paradigms changing in terms of like, for example, I'm not into counting calories. Like that's just not my thing. I'm into giving people great advice on eating whole foods, ways to prepare them, healthier oils to use, things like that. Is that something you've seen change? Is, or is that a paradigm that you've seen as well? Or am I in my own little bubble? Well, first of all, this is why we totally jibe with each other, Lisa. Like, this is <laughs> yeah. why we get each other. So I appreciate that so much. And I do. I don't believe in counting or obsessing. I mean, that said... I don't rule any of the tools out of the toolbox. So I think many people find it helpful to maybe count calories for a little while just to increase their awareness and understanding of how many calories their body needs. I mean, sometimes it helps people get enough food because they might be restricting too much. And so if they understand how many calories they need and how many calories are in things, then it can help them really properly nourish themselves. So sometimes, you know, knowledge is power in that way. But I think where you and I are both coming from is that you you do not have to count calories in order to eat a healthful diet. For the most part, your body, just listen to your body, your body knows how much you need when you need to stop, and so on. So tuning in is really better than tuning to some external number, right? So I completely agree. I mean, eons of humans have been living without counting calories and doing a great job at it. So I think we can count on that uh, being uh, something that works. Um, But I, I have seen in the course of my career, when I first started studying nutrition, I mean, I was a student in the 80s, right? In the late 80s. So I think it has definitely moved back then. It was sort of like, oh, you know, fat is bad, Oh, right? boy. Yeah. So that was sort of like all fat is bad. And I think it has changed, you know, the our understanding of the science has changed. And so it's interesting, though, because when people say, oh, you changed your mind, you're not professional, it's actually the opposite, is that you know someone is really a thinker and really evaluating the science when they can say, oh, no, the body of evidence is weighing differently now, and this is the recommendation. And so this ability to change actually is the sign of a professional, not being dogmatic about a particular path. Um, So I've seen in the course of my career more of an open arms toward healthy fats, plant fats. Um, and I've also seen more of a understanding of the detrimental aspects of sugar. And so not to demonize sugar, which unfortunately goes in that direction. And that's not necessary either, that some sugar is fine. And it sometimes can really smooth out flavors in dressings and things and, um, and add so much to the eating experience that it can help make healthy foods amazing. So I'm not anti-sugar and hey, hey, there's no way I'm living my life without a piece of chocolate cake now and then. So like, you don't have to. Um, so anyway, all that said, I have seen the science point to a more detrimental. We used to just think, oh, it's empty calories, no biggie. You know, you can compensate for that. But it's more than that, that it does have some inflammatory effects and and effects on heart health and so on. So I think I've seen those two big changes. But really, basic nutrition hasn't changed very much in general ever. <laughs> like, I think we can still go by the basic advice of our ancestors in many ways. 
Yeah, and I, I love what you said about being a thinker. I think that's so true because you'll read, well, they said margarine was bad and then they say butter is bad. Now, well, that, they're just always changing their mind. It's like, yeah, but you're not looking at that there's researchers behind this. We're not just being willy-nilly saying, well, today this is bad, this is good. And so I think that was such an incredible point, Ellie. Yeah, thank you. You know, I think, unfortunately, often the, the way the media covers many of these issues, it seems like ping-ponging. So a, a real true scientific thinker about this will really never turn on their heel. It will be more something of waiting for the weight of the evidence, the body of evidence, the, and that takes often years. So I'm talking here now even decades. Oh, I changed my mind since 1988. Let's hope so. <laughs> Hopefully we've made some progress since then. But um, So I'm not talking about changing your mind with every study or changing your life with every study because, um, because that's not a good idea. When I look at you and I look at your career, I mean, we'll jump into seasonal foods. I'm just so excited to have Ellie and ask her all these questions. You are so successful with the show on PBS and all of the other incredible work you've done. I mean, you clearly have a face for both radio and television. I know it's a joke. I don't have a face, but you, you're just, you just, I mean, not only are you attractive, but you just have this wonderful energy that, that comes from you. When was your, I'm just curious, was there like a, a big break or was it kind of a subtle? You- yeah. So actually I was always into theater arts as a, that was like my hobby. I did improvisational acting. I actually used to do with my improvisational acting group in high school, go to Central Park and do performances in Central Park with them. So that was amazing. So I feel like at one point in my life, I actually decided, no, I'm not going to pursue acting. I'm just going to, it wasn't the life I wanted. Um, So, but I always loved that kind of being on, being on camera. And I wound up, doing modeling and TV commercials as a summer job. After my freshman year of college, I wound up doing that and wound up, you know, really, I pounded the pavement. It didn't happen suddenly by any stretch. And I really just needed money to pay for school and to, to ha- you know, to have a summer job. And it wound up being literally a 15-year career where it paid for my master's degree. I wound up modeling throughout my undergrad and graduate degrees. And it actually paid for, my modeling and TV commercials paid for my development of this career so that I never actually worked for a company in nutrition. I was able to have my modeling. I was like a model wannabe nutritionist, if that makes any sense. (laughs) Um, But it was that on-camera experience and that um, commercial experience and acting experience that made me want to combine these two skill sets and passions that I had. And that's why when I did my master's, I majored in nutrition education and a minor in journalism. I did internships at CNN, internships at CBS, learned kind of how that media business went. And I really strive, that was my goal, to do this for the mass media, on ideally on television. But I also always loved writing, so I write my column for the Washington Post. And so I've always, and I have books and so on, so I've always seen, you know, all the media as fair game. And then all these new media have come up, like TikTok videos, and it's all fun. It's all fun to me. And that modeling, sort of visual arts sort of approach really helped me in more ways than I ever imagined it would. I just did it to pay for school, but I wound up really getting so much out of it in terms of seeing the world and seeing communications from this as this visual on-camera medium. 
Oh, that is so cool. Now, what kind? I'm just curious. Like, was it just regular modeling for like beauty products or clothes or just all kinds of things? Oh, gosh. So all kinds of things. I mean, I did all sorts. I was, I mean, a a lot, did a lot of like kind of catalog work for Macy's and JCPenney's and Target and those types of things. A lot of different department stores. I did some beauty campaigns for what was then Oil of Olay. Now now it's Olay. So that was a really nice job. I did, oh, all sorts of stuff. It must have been fun. You must have quite a portfolio. Oh, yeah. I My daughter likes perusing it. But I did a bunch of magazine shoots and stuff like that. And I actually traveled all over the world. Japan, I, one of the first places, I spent my 19th birthday in Tokyo, where was my first place I was uh, modeling besides New York. Um, and then I, I took a year off from school and was just all over, was in Germany and Italy and Spain and I, it was really great because, and it actually really informed my culinary worldview too, because when I went to these places, I was there on my own dime and it was just sort of like, oh, let's see what jobs I can get. So I was always on this tight budget. So I would go to the markets and I would go to the street food vendors and I would, so I got to absorb the food culture in a different sort of way than as a regular tourist because I had a kitchen and I was there for a while. So it was a little more like living there. So I do think that really informed my worldview about food as well, just being exposed to all those different cultural foods. Oh, I bet. Now, I know in modeling, there is a pressure to stay slim. So did you ever feel like kind of pulled between I have this passion for cooking and food, but then there or was that pressure on you? Or or give us some information on that. Well, this is a big one, actually. uh, Because I definitely was keenly aware of that. And I wasn't willing to sacrifice my health for modeling jobs. And there was one particular instance where I made a very clear decision. I had come back from my, I would just model when I was in undergrad, I just modeled in the summertime and then winter break. And so I had a minimum, and then I would, the money would have to last me like my whole school year. So here I am, beginning of summer, and I was training for a mini triathlon. I was in like amazing shape. I was eating great. I was, you know, really peak health. And I went up to uh, an audition for a show that was like a bathing suits or whatever. And they asked me to walk. And this woman, I had been in a show of hers before, and she pulls me aside. She's like, you know, I think you're great. I loved having you in the last show. I, um, my client is very specific about not wanting any moving flesh on the runway. And your butt like shakes a little when you walk. If it's just a matter of exercise and diet, the show's in two weeks and you want to go for it, I'll book you for it, but you have to promise me. And I said, I looked at her and I said, you know what? I could be thin as a rail and my butt's going to shake when I move because I'm a woman. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Hey, oh my gosh, I love that. And I I needed the money. I really did. I needed that job. It wasn't like, oh, no worries. I was seriously like financially struggling. But I had to say that and I went back in the elevator and I cried all the way down the elevator. But it's literally I was also proud of myself. Oh, and and incredible. to this day that's one of the things I'm super proud of. So I was able to sort of say like, okay, I'm doing this job and I'm going to get my, keep my body fit, but I'm not going to sacrifice my well-being. Um, and it, interestingly, I, when I went into private practice 
later, after I had graduated from my master's, I wound up working with a lot of models. And agencies would hire me if they were models who were struggling. And I wound up really being, I think, being able to help these women because I could see the world from the point of view of the industry um, as well as as a dietitian. We are going to jump into fall. So what are some of the things that you love to make in the fall? Gosh, so, I mean, there are so many, but one of the things I really like to do is do a nice um, uh, ratatouille. So that's... you know, it's like the stew of eggplant and it's really using the eggplant and the tomatoes and the zucchini that's still coming up. And that's so bountiful at the market. And in terms of affordability, it's also now is when these things are also really, you know, less expensive. So, um, you know, I make huge batches of that. I have a recipe for it on my website for a slow cooker ratatouille, which is really nice because you just sort of dump everything in and then cook it down. And if it happens to be a warm day, which September we still have so many, then you're not worrying about heating up the oven or monitoring the stove because it does have to cook for a while, simmer for a while. And then I'll freeze that in batches. And um, and that's just nice to have. I, you could serve it with pasta. You could use it as, I love to put it on toast with a fried egg or poached egg. So delicious. So ratatouille is a good one. I'm still making, um, well, I'm a big soup person. So I make a soup probably every week of my life. Um, in, the win- in the summer, I make chilled soups like gazpacho. And it's nice now to make also a zucchini soup because you can serve it warm or chilled. I'm, I'm, I also have a recipe for this on my website. So if, if people are, as they're hearing this, want to check that out. Um, so this is a nice zucchini soup, which has... Um, I put I puree it with white beans, so Ooh. that gives it a creaminess, and also, but you don't know there's beans in there, so it's kind of fun. But it adds that nice protein, that vegetable protein, but and makes it into a main meal. But if you're not that into beans, I am a bean lover. I'm a I love beans. definitely a bean person. But for people who even might not be, you're you don't even really realize they're there. So you're getting all the nutrition and satisfaction of it without even it being super beany. Right. Oh, that sounds so good. You've probably heard how important it is to take probiotics. And trust me, you don't want to take just any. You want to take one that is backed by science. And the probiotic that my family and I take is Omnibiotic. These are targeted probiotics. They've got a highly effective powder delivery mechanism. They're clinically tested health benefits They're vegan and hypoallergenic, and they're a leading European product. Let's get them to be a leading product in America. Omnibiotics' unique powder delivery mechanism ensures that 83% of good bacteria reach the desired area of the gut, compared to an average of 7% in top U.S. probiotic capsule brands. So my family and I use Omnibiotic Stress Release. Now, this is a psychobiotic formulation designed to support the gut-brain axis. And what that means is that this is looking at at memory, cognition, improving your mood. And I'll just tell you, I saw an improvement in my mood and my daughter saw improvement in her mood and also a reduction in anxiety. And that is huge. When you can do something natural to help your brain, I love that. Not only is Omnibiotic incredible, you will get 15% off when you order through their website 
www.omnibioticlife.com. Just use the code Lisa Davis 15. Check them out. Get Omnibiotic today. I'm telling you, it is a game changer. You want to go to www.omnibioticlife.com. That's O-M-N-I-B-I-O-T-I-C-L-I-F-E.com. This is so exciting. Now, I'm a big garlic fan. Do you have anything you love to add garlic to in the fall in any of your recipes? Oh, my goodness. So I've been doing lately this garlic confit, which is basically you take garlic, heads of garlic, cloves of garlic, whole cloves peeled, and you just simmer them. You cover with oil, put them in a pan, cover it with olive oil, simmer it on very, 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 very low until they're golden and soft. Then you freeze, then you can mash it up or you can just freeze them like that. And save the oil, separate it from the oil, but save the oil and then use that for cooking. It's so good. But then I freeze those and it's so good in a dressing. So then you just take that that delicious garlic confit and you just do vinegar, some of the garlic oil or fresh oil, whatever you like, maybe in a little bit of uh, thyme or something and you ha- and salt and pepper and you have an amazing, and a little mustard's nice in there too, and you have an amazing dressing. That you could put on roasted vegetables. I mean, now it's like roasted vegetable season. That's a great thing about fall. So, oh yeah, uh, maybe all summer I'm grilling, and all fall and winter I'm roasting. So, getting to that point, and then one of the things I love also that people might not typically think of is I love to use fresh chopped apple as a garnish for roasted foods. So I like to take like. You roast some Brussels sprouts, and then you take fresh apple. You do that garlic vinaigrette on there, toss it with some of that, and then some fresh apple on top. Oh my gosh, I might make that tonight. Oh, that sounds <laughs> getting so myself good. excited. But it's just fun <laughs> to like riff, you know. So, yeah, I'm super excited about fall and winter. In the summer, I barely cook at all, you know, or I'll do cold things like you're talking about. And being in the Northeast, I mean, it's great. I look forward to the weekends to just, I go out and snowshoe. I'm lucky I live in a town that's a third conservation land. And then I come in and then I do some cooking. And and one thing that I've gotten really into is my Instant Pot. And I just love it. And one thing I haven't tried yet, and I'm wondering if you have, is I keep hearing about the air fryer. But I could already hear my husband being like, another big appliance. Like how, so I'd have to really use it a lot. Yeah. Um, but what do you think? What do you think about things like that? I mean, people love their air fryers. I don't have one. So I live in New York City. I have very little storage space and very little counter space. So I don't really have a lot of these appliances. I don't have an air fryer. I don't have an Instapot. I do have a slow cooker, and that's enough for me. But um, people love their air fryer. And many ovens now, regular ovens, are coming with an air fryer function. So it's very similar to roasting, but it just kind of gives more of a crispiness and faster. So I wouldn't say it's essential to have one, but people seem to like it. So, But I think you can get much of the same crispy effect by just roasting something. Now, do you think people don't roast it long enough? Like, let's say I want to make a pan of Brussels sprouts. So would you cut, like, tell us how you would go about that. Like, would you cut them in half, in quarters, how much oil, you know, approximately, and how long would you roast them and the temp and all that stuff? Yeah, so I would cut them in half and maybe in quarters if they were large. I would toss it with, I don't know, maybe 
one or two tablespoons of olive oil, say a pound of Brussels sprouts, one or two tablespoons of olive oil, a little bit of salt, maybe a quarter teaspoon of salt. Literally just about any vegetable is good just like that. Like if you really want to keep life simple, and sometimes things don't have to be complicated or fancy or have too many flavors. Like sometimes literally just that pure flavor of the vegetable roasted, concentrated in the oven is great. So I think the magic temperature for me for really crispy brown, if you like that crispy texture, is 425. So I do my broccoli like that too. I roast it at 425. So I just put it on a sheet pan and toss it once in the middle. It might take, it depends on the vegetable, but I would, uh, I would, might take like 20, 25 minutes, maybe 30 minutes, but just check. And then it comes out crispy and delicious and you can't go wrong. And then you can run with it. You can drizzle some dressing on it. You can sprinkle some smoked paprika on there, maybe midway cooking. Um, that's a, a delicious way to go. There are so many flavor ways to go with not only Brussels sprouts, but, but I do love on roasted vegetables. I do love the smoked paprika. I don't know. It's like such so a good. Yeah. It's just fabulous. And, it makes everything better. <laughs> I love smoked uh, smoked paprika on hummus. Mm, oh my gosh, yeah. it's delicious! So good. Now I love meat and I love brisket, especially on a cold winter night. And brisket that like is just so tender and amazing. And I haven't made it in an InstaPot yet. I think I called it Instant Pot. I get mixed up if it's Instant. Is it InstaPot? I or think instant? it's Insta. I think you're right. So it's in- <laughs> I said Instant InstaPot. Um, but I'm excited to do that this winter. But I've made it in a slow cooker. Oh, my gosh. Do you ever use make any kind of brisket with the potatoes and the carrots? Oh, yeah. The- I actually have a great story. I have a brisket recipe also on my website. But it comes with a great story that I wrote for the Washington Post about this huge fight I had with my mother about the brisket. <laughs> Um, And it was really a a very moving story because I had a big fight with her because she, historically, my family always cooked it on the stove. And I like it in the oven. I like how it gets brown in the oven. And it gets that like a little bit of crispy caramelization. So I prefer mine in the oven. I know it comes out delicious and tender in the slow cooker, which is similar to having it on the stove. But I personally cook mine in the oven because I like the, the crispy brownness. Had a huge fight with my mom about it that wound up really not being about the meat at all, but was about her missing her parents. And we had this huge, we went from fighting to crying and hugging each other. And I wrote about that. Um, but it was, it really was amazing to me because it, it showed, it, it addresses the idea of tradition, which she always tells me I thumb my nose at tradition. But I'm not thumbing my nose at it. I just don't want it to... I think tradition is wonderful and important, but I don't want it to impede creativity. And I think I love the creative aspect of food, and I want to make it how I like it, even if it's not the traditional way. Um, so it's, it's interesting that way. So the conversation about food and tradition and the conversation about you know the connection that food gives you to your past. Oh, I think that is so beautiful. So how do you make your brisket in the oven? And and does it come out tender? Yeah, it comes out so tender. So I just basically, um, I forget what temperature I cook it at, to be honest, maybe 350. But I just um, rub it with paprika and some a little bit of garlic. And I put tons of, we put tons of onions in the pan in like a heavy 
duty pan, high-sided pan, like a roasting pan. And then lots and lots of onions and carrots and celery. And then put the brisket right on top, cover it, and then just cook it for like hours. Then until it's tender. And then and you don't even need any liquid because the liquid is coming out of the onions, coming out of the meat, and it's creating this gorgeous gravy. And it's covered, so it's all going to be kind of like, it kind of steams in there, but you're still going to get that brown caramelization. Then uh, basically pull it out and slice it. Uh, no, pull it out and refrigerate it and then slice it the next day. Oh, really? Yeah. I, to me, it's a two-day thing. And then you, then with the onions and stuff, you can make the gravy. I can simmer that down to thicken it a little bit. I might take the onions out and puree some and kind of thicken it. And then I put the sliced meat back in that gravy and cook it a little, warm it up together like that and serve it like that. Oh my gosh. Now why, now this is so interesting. I'd never heard the putting it in the fridge overnight. Tell us, what does that do for the meat? So it makes it easier to slice. And it also, we would usually have it for like the Jewish holidays. So it's like, then it makes it really like make ahead, right? Um, And so it's easier to slice once it's cold. So I slice it cold. Um, and so it really, it's about ease. And then it's also that rehydration of the meat. It's like better the next day type of thing. Um, the flavor just really develops a little bit in the fridge. Oh my gosh. Okay. This I'm like, okay, I got to make brisket. I got to make Brussels sprouts. I'm so, now <laughs> oh, I'm really excited. We got dinner. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> oh my gosh. Now I mentioned the Instapot and air fryer. Uh, what are some things that you do think, like smaller items that you do think are great to have in the kitchen? Well, you know, to I help love, people out? I use all the time, all the time, I use my immersion blender. Again, I love soups and I love creamy soups and even for smoothies and stuff. And then, but with soup in particular, if you're going to puree a soup, then you don't have to transfer it to a blender in batches. It's a pain in the neck. With the immersion blender, then you just... You were it right in the pot when it's still hot, and it just makes creamy soups really so easy to make. So I love my immersion blender. I also love my mini chop. So I have like a regular food processor, but I but uh, I like to have just the mini one. I use it more the most often just to chop up a bunch of garlic to. Um, whir up some herbs in the blender or make a little quick little mini pesto. It's just my husband and me now because my daughter's at college. So I'm usually not cooking in like huge batches. So I find I love my little mini chop. Oh, that sounds so nice. Those are two. Is there a certain brand that people should look for or just? I love my, I don't have a particular brand, but I have, I love my Cuisinart. I think the, the motor on it's really good. Oh, that's good to know. Now, since you mentioned Jewish holidays, and I'm Jewish as well, I love a good latke. I mean, I tend to make mine without any flour, and they still come out really well. But I'm curious how how you make yours. Okay, so first of all, my father is the latke king. So he literally, no one makes them better. I still have don't feel like I've mastered it based on his incredible recipe. And that is one tradition that, well... I lie. I mean, we he grates his, and I th- some, sometimes think he grates his finely. He would kill. He would be so mad at me if I if he heard me saying this. So he grates his finely. But I think sometimes <laughs> I like it a little more shredded with a little more texture. 
don't tell him I said that, please. Um, <laughs> but anyway, I love the way he makes them. But he puts definitely puts some flour in it. But I think I've seen a method before where you can, um, after you grate the potatoes, however thickness you want to grate them, <laughs> um, you can actually, then you soak them in water to keep the potato, to take out some of the starch. And then at the bottom of the pan, once you drain the water out, there's potato starch right left at the bottom of the pan, and you can use that to thicken them too. Oh wow! So I, never thought some, of that. I know someone who does that. Olga Masoff, who's the uh, an editor that I work with at the Post, I think that's her method that she that she uses. But so oh, that is really yeah. cool. and then I'm frying my. I just don't. It ha- to me that has to be full out fried. Yes, sour cream and. And applesauce, um, and applesauce, both, and maybe sour cream and a nice piece of smoked salmon on there too. <laughs> That's good too. Okay, we're getting hungry now. I know. Well, you know, it's funny because I. So my dad, I, I used to call him the Latka King, and every year he'd let me bring, you know, or invite a couple of my friends over, and he would like tell us they were non-Jewish. He would tell the story of Hanukkah, and even though they came over every year, the same couple of friends, they were always excited because his latkes were so amazing. I actually, and this might be like shocking, but I use a Vitamix. I like it all to be creamy, hmm. the onion, that like it's so fine. And then they just come up and they just melt in your mouth and they're light. And it's a different kind of experience, but people have been loving them. Oh, so. I'm sure they're delicious. Have you ever, I have mean, you ever done that? No. Were you like... But I like to, my, my dad insists everyone grate them by hand, first of all. So everyone at the party has to grate one. I'm happy to use a food processor for this task. Again, this is the tradition, anti-tradition. I mean, there are some traditions that are like worth it and then some that just aren't. Right. Um, I guarantee you my great-grandmother would have been very thrilled to have the food processor. Oh, but, yeah. Um, but anyway, uh, but I've never done it in the Vitamix. I, I've never done it super fine like that, but I'll try it. Hey, I'm, I'm game. I love the, the experimentation. I mean, I think if everybody's in there together grating, that sounds really fun. I don't even, don't don't tell your family. I don't even have a potato grater. I mean, just a regular box grater? You don't have one? Oh, my gosh. We did growing up, but somehow I, oh, I don't know I how. I still use mine I, I need to get one. Yeah. What do you use it for, veggies? Oh, yeah. I'll use it for grating zucchini, for example. If I'm going to, sometimes I put like a zucchini, I'll grate a zucchini and then squeeze out the water and put that into my meatloaf. Or I'll use it for grating carrots for a slaw or also the same thing to put into like meatballs or something or even on a salad. So I don't know. I feel like I use it for grating cheese. I use it for grating cheddar. Wondering if you jumped on that zoodles trend. Do you ever like spiralize your veggies? Yeah, I do. Um, I I actually have a nice zucchini uh, noodle recipe for like a raw zucchini salad that's made with the noodles. Um, I do sometimes. I don't do it a lot, I have to say, but I did buy a spiralizer. And sometimes I buy the zucchini, the already made spiralized like squash and stuff that they have. That It's a great, hey, why not? Like I said, I'm game for all of it. I think the fun of it is the variety that's possible. Right. Now, I'm guessing that you use a real pumpkin to make pumpkin pie. No, my- wrong. <gasps> Oh my gosh, really? Wrong. I could just picture you with, I've never done that. I have. I had a boyfriend who did, and I remember it was funny. So my boyfriend and I, we broke up, but we stayed good friends, and then he met my fiancé, and the first time he met him, it was around uh, Thanksgiving time, and he's like, oh, I made some pie, 
And my husband still to this day, we've been together 24 years. He's like, that was the best thing I've ever had. I'll tell you, I've done it with regular pumpkin. And first of all, you have to use the sugar pumpkins. You can't just use like a bit. I learned this the hard way, by the way. I would, again, I was talking about how in college I would buy all those tomatoes and come home and cook them. Well, I remember buying some pumpkins. I was in my early 20s. I would bought a bunch of pumpkins and made pumpkin pie. It was so stringy and disgusting we threw it away because i used the like jack-o-lantern pumpkins so you can't do that if you're going to make pumpkin for cooking you should use what's called the sugar pumpkin or the pie pumpkin which are small so first thing and then they're delicious i mean i just cook them like regular squash they're delicious but when i'm making a pie it's just not worth it it does to me i don't notice the difference in the taste and i and actually the pumpkin puree in the can is thicker actually a little thicker so it um i kind of like that texture more it's a little concentrated so i don't know i don't some things are just not worth it i don't like when it's overly sweet though oh yeah i think that ruins it and i find that there's so i've had so much pumpkin pie that it's like oh my gosh like where's the spice i like the cinnamon Mm. and the nutmeg and whatever else is in there but when it's too sweet i just yeah, I feel, I feel that way about almost all fruit pies, that I love to make fruit pies, and I make them with, like, hardly any sugar. Yeah. Um, and I love to just taste the fruit, really. But a little sugar is fine, but I don't like when they're gooey and taste like gummy sweetness. I want them to taste like fruit tied together with a little bit of sweetness and starch, so... So I have to let Ellie go because she's got a big day of recipe testing. But Ellie, I am so happy you came on. I hope you'll come back. I know you're busy, but maybe once a quarter or whatever works for you. You know my door's always open. I had so much fun. I learned so much. Tell us all the ways we can find you and your fantastic work. Oh, gosh. Thank you. It's so fun talking with you. And now I'm like officially hungry, too. So so I love when that happens. But really, um, gosh, people can just go to my website, elliekrieger.com, and I have a ton of free recipes on there. I have my podcast episodes on there as well and articles and episodes and clips from my TV show. So you can go to elliekrieger.com and find it all. Thank you so much, Ellie. This was awesome. Everybody keep coming back to Health Power and follow me on TikTok, Instagram, and Twitter at Lisa Davis MPH. Well, that's it for our show today. Thank you so much for listening. We appreciate you and we would appreciate it if you could please rate and review and leave a comment because the more you engage with our podcast, the more you will find it and help other people find it wherever they listen to their podcast. So be sure to follow us. I'm at Andrea Donsky and at Naturally Savvy and Lisa at Lisa Davis MPH. Thank you so much. And please share this episode because the more you share shows you care. We'll see you next time.